1: Now, broadcasting live from the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio
3: at the George Washington Broadcast Center,
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Armstrong and Getty. Celebrating 25 years of Radio Excellence. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: Uh, what do you suppose is the most texted about thing we've talked about on the show today? Oh, goodness. I'll tell you. I don't know. Far and away leader, number one. The story about Israeli couscous. So that was a salad they had on the menu at Yale. Yale. Mm-hmm. And because it's called Israeli cou- cou- couscous, they took it off the menu because that would
3: be too... The activist students might be offended by the word Israeli on their couscous. When one cous isn't enough, try couscous. Come for the cous, stay for the cous. Right.
4: Um, we got texts from people. I don't know from Israeli couscous, but apparently it's, it's like it's like French toast. It's just it's a kind of thing, and that's what you call it. So it'd be like all of a sudden you don't call it French toast anymore because right. of something. And it's pretty dumb because no no the
3: French are colonial settler white supremacists. <laughs> no longer calling it Israeli
4: Israeli couscous. That reminds me of uh, I heard the story from somebody yesterday I'll be very vague so as not to get them in trouble but they worked in the San Francisco Bay Area and this person was describing to me how weird it was working in the San Francisco Bay Area and how the day day after Donald Trump was elected the uh, the boss gathered them all together and said I know this is a really hard day for everybody so I just appreciate y'all coming in and we're going to do our best and we're going to try to make it through the day together. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Can wow. you imagine that? And then on a different day, when some legal ruling or something went against, went for Trump, you know, probably one of those, I don't know, he skated on impeachment or whatever, a couple of, couple of the couple of the workers went home that day, said they couldn't finish out the day and they
3: needed to go home, having heard the news that... I see So, so, would love to run the experiment where we split the country in two. I know it. Sorry, Mr. Lincoln. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Lincoln. And we install separate systems based on conservatism or progressivism, and then we'll meet back in a few years. Well, hell, a few months. If you want to talk about the decay of the blue cities of the West, it didn't take long.
4: Yeah, let's six months. I'll sign a contract. We'll get back together. We'll be the United States of America, and we'll all fight
3: together. But just as an experiment and ideas, let's split for six months and see who does better. Well, and then when we get back together, it will be being run by the principles that showed themselves to be more effective.
4: God, that's hilarious. I need to go home from work. I just heard that Donald Trump was acquitted of something or other. I don't think I can. The hell is the it. matter with you people? Well, as as, Seriously. I, as I said to this person, and the boss let them? I mean, that's the other end of the equation. <laughs> said, yeah, I, I can understand why you...
3: You know, the other layer of that story that I'd like to uh, uh, peel away, Onion-like, is the, and you see this a lot, the assumption that everybody thinks the way I do. In spite of the fact that it's demonstrable that half the country doesn't, and they vote accordingly, and the numbers, even in, the, for instance, the Bay Area, California. We get this question all the time. Because um, we've we've done, you know, very, very well in a number of very blue parts of the country. And what people don't understand is that if, if it's 55-45 uh, liberal, to say, Democrats or Republican, that's a landslide election every single time. The Republicans do not have a chance. And forty-five percent of the population feels completely underrepresented. So even in a place like the Bay Area that may be a little more than you know, fifty-five, forty-five, you've got forty percent of the population, sir, that disagrees with your worldview and your politics. And and the fact that you disagree is not the problem. The fact is that you can't even conceive of the idea that somebody in your organization might be represented or representative. Of that damn near half of your GD population. I don't, I just don't understand how you can be that blind to a, a, a reality that's so obvious.
4: Well, and then just justifying the emotional sophomore girl like behavior. I'm I shouldn't be sexist like that,
3: but just of. No, especially because the, 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 the boys these days got no testosterone. Look at their sperm counts. Look at them.
4: I've had plenty of people I was rooting for lose elections. It never occurred to me that I, I, I don't think I can go to work today. It's going to be a hard day at work today now that George H.W. Bush lost to Clinton.
3: Whatever. Hunter Biden didn't show up for the closed-door hearing, boss. I just, I got to go home. <laughs> can you imagine? No, I can't. It's not just inappropriate. You guffaw at the idea. <laughs> Yet one side of the political aisle behaves that way.
5: <sighs> anyway oh,
4: I so want to do that experiment go ahead so um this was a pretty big development yesterday the supreme court yesterday said it will hear an appeal that could up end hundreds of charges stemming from the Capitol riot, including those against president donald trump so they said yesterday they will hear this they didn't say when but it's assumed it's going to be Sooner rather than later, the justices will review a charge of obstruction of an official proceeding that has been brought against more than 300 people, including the president. Uh, That's among four of the counts brought against President Trump in special counsel, Jack Smith's case. That accuses the 2024 Republican presidential primary frontrunner of conspiring to overturn the results of his election loss. Trump is also charged with conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Anyway, so the Supreme Court's going to take that up, and that decision will be huge. Obviously, if they say, no, you can't charge a sitting president with that or whatever their legal argument is, that'll be a very big deal. That'll be a very big deal.
3: Yeah, and I know the talking points are already being prepared to, look, this is the out-of-control MAGA court if they, uh if they rule in that direction. But I'm kind of used to that. I'll get over it. Do you have a, an inkling of which direction they're going to go on this? I'm cautious about offering my inkling up uh, I heard a good argument for why they'll say no. You can't charge him with that statute. That's those statutes were actually created to prosecute people who interfere with uh, corporate lawsuits or something like that. Um, but I, you know, one of my formative experiences—I've served on several juries, and one of them as as the. Uh, prosecution wrapped up. I thought, this guy's guilty as hell. I can't wait to send him to jail. But then the defense came up, and they completely changed everybody's minds. We deliberated for 45 minutes just because we had food and acquitted the guy. Wow, that's
4: an excellent point.
3: uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear other arguments.
4: Now, I care more about the country surviving than whether Team Red or Team Blue comes out Ahead on any of these things. And I look forward to arguing with Tim Sandifer about this next week because I want to do what's not going to destroy the country. I'm concerned that if a Supreme Court that's 6 3 conservative with three justices appointed by Trump says, no, none of this Trump stuff flies, it's over, <sighs> destroys for half the country any belief in our justice system going forward. On the other hand, I absolutely believe that if our court systems take down the far and away leading candidate for the Republican Party or the guy that's already the nominee but is winning in the polls. I mean, he's going to be the next president, but the courts keep him out of it. That's going to destroy the country. So I, I don't like either one of those results from a
3: half the country no longer believes in the system at all. Well, I think you've just explained why they'll have to rule on the merits then, right? If you get hung up on outcomes, and I can't, there's a judicial well, word for that. Um, you're between a rock and a hard place. Well, that's why I want to argue with Tim, because I think the
4: I think this is a case, and I know lawyers, a lot of lawyers, wouldn't believe this or ever believe this. I think this is a case where the outcomes are more important than the letter of the law. I, I agree with what George Will wrote about whichever one of the cases it was. For people who say, let justice, uh, let justice prevail though the heavens fall, how about we don't? But you just explained that either way will bring disaster. Well, I'm not certain which is worse on either one. Um, the Supreme Court one, I feel like if there's not a case there, the Supreme Court has got to say there's not a case there. But on in terms of any of those cases, any of those four trials, and only one of them's really got a shot, stopping a guy who's leading in the polls from being able to run for president or winning... I think that's that's nation destroying stuff right there.
3: I think they'll be extremely careful about doing that. Extremely careful, and they should. I wish I could remember the name of that doctrine because it's a good term. But uh, at the same time, I don't, I don't know uh, how far are you willing to go perverting justice to achieve your stated aim? There, uh, Dred Scott. I mean, come but on. This, uh, but this is a
4: this is a pretty extreme example. You have the opportunity to let. 160 million people with the opportunity to take in all the information that they
3: want go and decide whether or not they think this guy ought to be president or not. You read my mind. That's why they'll lean the way they they will because there's a backup. And they'll make that clear in their ruling. Um, This is a decision for the people of America to make through the political process. I mean, this is as giant a jury pool as you can
4: possibly get.
3: Yeah, I think they will. And they will endure the slings and arrows of blah, 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 Trump appointees, blah, 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 out of control, MAGA court. Uh, Mark Halpern wrote in his newsletter today, he
4: didn't think that Trump derangement syndrome could go so deep as to so many journalists being willing to twist into knots all the reasons that these trials have to happen right in the middle of a presidential election or the primary. Four different cases that at least are scheduled to happen right while, they're obviously designed to to derail Trump.
3: Sure, Yeah. Well, At least when you start is. with a conclusion and seek out reasoning to match that conclusion, you end up twisted up in knots like you're in du Soleil. And they are. They're they're making buffoons of themselves in my opinion. Uh so you uh, so you believe let let the people decide. Um I think so. Again, I'd like to hear the particulars of of what the Supreme Court's deciding. Um I think if he is clearly, unmistakably guilty, of, or if the law is just completely clear in one direction or another, they're going to have to say so out loud.
4: Okay, that's fine. And then that, that the, the case goes forward. But how about the hmm. idea of him being convicted of something in any of those cases that derails his presidential run?
3: Or just, just the fact that it's going to bog him down in court so much. It's extremely dangerous, no matter say. no matter whether it's uh, 10% true, 90% true, somewhere in between whether Trump is guilty or not guilty, whether this is entirely cr- cranked up by the left or not at all cranked up by the left. It's very dangerous to be prosecuting a presidential candidate to try to get him off the campaign trail. At some point, the rubber meets on the road of can a people govern themselves
4: or not. Here's an opportunity to, to lay it out there. My final thought.
3: Jack, principles are like disobedient dogs. Once you let go of them, they don't come back. Stick to your principles, though it will yield a difficult day. And if it destroys the
4: them country, tomorrow, if it destroys the country, at least you can look back on it and say I stuck to my principles.
3: That's exactly right, Chicken Little. I'm, that wasn't fair? Wow, who said that? <laughs> Okay. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. You
4: might not know this, but after we finish our radio show every day, the Armstrong and Getty Show, we keep on going. We do a
3: podcast that you never hear on the air. might be more in-depth analysis of the day's events, uh, our allegedly keen observations of the world around us, or even more of the ridiculous and absurd stories that you crave every weekday. Yeah, we
4: call it Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. It's a podcast that you should subscribe
3: to right now. You can find it on the iHeart app or wherever you download podcasts. Armstrong. Strong and Getty. Uh, speaking of the modern world, I found this so interesting. Um, it's uh, about AI and how uh, publishers, news publishers, magazines, content creators think it's going to destroy their businesses. And I saw this headline, and I didn't know, you know, what to think of it or how it would work. So maybe you'll find it as interesting as I do, as I did, rather. <clears throat> so um, they're talking about the TheAtlantic.com, um, which is often just annoyingly lefty. Uh, but shortly after the launch of ChatGPT, according to the journal, The Atlantic drew up a list of the greatest threats from generative artificial uh, intelligence. They mentioned that the Atlantic's been around for 166 years, by the way. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, uh, at the top of their threat list, Google's embrace of the technology, because 40% of the magazine's web traffic comes from Google searches, which turn up links that users click on to get to information that the Atlantic has published. Interesting. Yeah. Uh task force at the Atlantic modeled what could happen if Google integrated AI into the search, and it found that 75% of the time, the AI-powered search would likely provide a full answer to the user's query, and the Atlantic oh. site would miss out on the traffic it otherwise would have gotten.
4: Ah, well, that's a minor change that I'm not even sure I would have noticed, but I could see... Yeah, because that's what I do. I Google some story, and then there's a link to a... New York Times piece about it or Atlantic piece about it or something. But if it's
3: mm-hmm. if my whole answer is right there in the paragraph, I don't need to go anywhere. Right. And I'm uh, the, the last thing I am as an expert in this, but there's also the issue that uh, because the, the Google the AI or whatever has mined like, everything available, some of the information that I get from Google might well have come directly from the Atlantic from a, a piece they published. And so that's become really controversial. Wait a minute, you're mining my website to put me out of business? Well, the the internet destroyed local
4: newspapers. If it destroys like longer piece
3: journalism also soon. That's not good. Yeah, it, it may not destroy it, but it'll certainly weaken it, which will destroy those who aren't particularly robust. Well, the economic uh, they, model, you gotta come up with a new economic model, and that's what the new what newspapers couldn't do and that's why they died. We're out of economic models, they reply. Yeah. Google's integration of AI is crystallizing for media outlets the perils of relying on big tech companies to get their content in front of readers and viewers. Already, publishers are reeling from a major decline in traffic sourced from social media sites uh, as both Meta and X have pulled away from distributing news. God, what is the next 10 years going to look like? I wish we had time. I came across another story of how much money the tech giants spend on uh, bribing slash supporting the very politicians who regulate them. It is incestuous.
4: Quick question for you. What if you happen to miss this unbelievable radio program?
3: The answer is easy, friends. Just download our podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. It's the podcast version of the broadcast show, available anytime, any day, every single podcast platform known to man.
4: Download it now. Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
1: Armstrong and Getty. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other The Armstrong and
4: Getty Show. Josh Campbell, CNN security correspondent, former FBI counterterrorism agent, Navy veteran. It says here, friend of the Armstrong and Getty Show for over 15 years.
5: You've been a listener, Josh. Welcome to the show. How you doing? I have, I have Jack. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, i listening a long time. And if you'll indulge me, just a quick story. Actually learned about the ANG show I was on a uh, FBI team that was working overseas counterterrorism cases and it was actually a uh, a Navy SEAL who said hey you guys have to listen to you know the show and I'm in LA so I'm already a, a Californian um, but one story in particular we were out on a counterterrorism mission and you know you have your logistics an important part of that is how do you feed your crew and this uh defense contractor who was responsible for our food screwed up and they basically had an entire case of hot dogs as our food and this just happened to coincide as we're sitting around the campfire listening to the travails of positive sean and his uh, hot dog episode <laughs> and so there we're, we were you know listening eating our 20th hot dog of the week thinking man we feel your pain brother
4: <laughs> right that's when I paid our producer, Sean, 1000 bucks if he could eat 70 hot dogs in a week, which he did, and I paid him $1,000. Uh, so you're in L.A. You're listening to us then on uh, KABC in Los Angeles, which we are proud to be on. I was in L.A. the other night. I was at LAX, and LAX had the, that feeling that you, the airports have sometimes when security's ramped up a bit. Am I imagining that or not with the FBI saying all lights are blinking for terrorism attack and all that sort of stuff?
5: No, you are. You know, since uh, the attack by Hamas uh, on Israel, I mean, we've seen that then reverberate across the country, excuse me, across the world, where you have intelligence services, security services around the world now on high alert, to include here in the United States. Uh, You know, the FBI director had recently said that, you know, anti-Semitism, what the FBI is seeing, is unlike anything uh, that it's seen, certainly in the modern era. Uh, And so, you know, they are prepared for any type of attack. I mean, we know that There are different types of of terrorism. You have, you know, cells and groups. But a particular concern to the FBI is the so-called lone wolf. And that's someone out there who, you know, is online, who's on the receiving end of all of this, you know, vitriol and garbage and, you know, all the anti-Semitism that we're seeing uh, who might opt to actually act with violence. And so that's something certainly that they're watching.
4: Yeah, the lone wolf thing, which I know is uh, is a hard thing to stop for obvious reasons, and then you got a porous border, also. uh, So you know, a cell coming together doesn't seem like a big stretch.
5: No, you're right. I mean, that, that's. I have to tell you, I mean, that is one particular concern is, you know, obviously when you talk about people coming into the United States who the government isn't able to keep tabs on, I mean, that is a lucrative mode of entry, so to speak. Um, you know, if you're a terrorist group wondering how you actually secrete people in the United States, that's obviously one vector. I mean, go to the place where, um, you know, people aren't being screened or if there is screening, it's, you know, it's very cursory. Um, and so, you know, that, that's something interesting. Obviously, when we talk about immigration, I mean, I don't cover politics uh, for seeing end but i cover security and that is certainly a concern you know obviously there are the the immigration laws that that have been debated you know for for years and years uh but on the security side of the house law enforcement the fbi uh state police you know along the border there's certainly concern that among you know people coming to the united states it could be people trying to cause ill intent uh and that's a great vector to try to get someone in the united states
4: so you talked about chatter and the and the fbi director ray saying he hasn't seen all the lights flashing like this since 9-11 what other than posts on twitter and facebook are you guys talking about when you say you know all the lights are blinking
5: well, I'll give you an example. I mean, we've seen you know threats to Jewish institutions here in the United States, both both physical threats um, that have manifested in you know vandalism and destruction, uh, but also the online threats. And just to give you an example, you know, I've been reporting throughout this week, over this past weekend, from Saturday to Monday, there were over 400 Jewish institutions in the U.S. that received bomb threats, and you can imagine. You know, I've been I've been speaking with uh, Jewish leaders who say you know they're going about their services, all of a sudden they receive a message saying that there is a uh, incendiary device in your institution that's going to go off you can imagine just the widespread chaos uh, and fear and panic that that would cause and you know you you scale that to over 400 institutions um, that, that's certainly something that law enforcement is taking seriously we're told that there are over 30 FBI field offices in the US that are currently investigating uh, those threats and you know interestingly as the FBI conducted its investigation they learned that this particular wave of threats uh, the, the 400 were actually Actually coming from overseas, um, and you know, I talked with uh, the Anti Defamation League. They actually have their own threat watchers who are going onto the dark web, trying to find you know these groups that are that are talking about you know conducting um, th- these types of threats in order to try to get that information to law enforcement. And they said that one of the typical profiles that they're seeing are these groups are actually young gamers, you know, people who are in these online gaming communities who are you know spewing hate and then you know get together and try to get attention and then go you know do these types of Digital threats in order to try to see you know the fear uh, you know that they that they'll cause um, and you know even more sinister. I mean a lot of these online services are streamed online and so you know, these uh, perpetrators can actually watch in real time the, the chaos and fear and so it's, it's certainly something that's very serious. It's it's a challenge for law enforcement when you're talking about uh, digital threats. Obviously the relative anonymity of the, of the internet makes that challenging. That said, the FBI and uh, local law enforcement has had successes uh, in recent months, including right here in southern california in orange county just last week the fbi arrested a, a juvenile who was making threats to jewish institutions to african-american churches and they said that this juvenile was part of an online ring uh, of people who were calling in threats and so they, they have seen successes but these cases are certainly very difficult
4: i've got a friend who's in uh, your line of work to be vague and always talks about trying to figure out if somebody's a keyboard warrior Or an actual threat. That's got to be the real difficult thing. I mean, because it's real easy to shoot your mouth off as a gamer wearing your headset to your friends and sound like a tough guy and try to figure out whether that person is, you know, just shooting their mouth off or, or, or danger. How in the heck do you ever figure that out?
5: You know, it's difficult. I mean, in the security world, you're looking for two things. You're looking for capability and intent. You know, someone who has the actual capability to cause harm, Uh, if they don't have the intent to do so, they're obviously, you know, less of a threat. Someone who has the intent to to kill people, but isn't capable of doing so, you know, that's obviously uh, something that that could be mitigated. But when you couple those together, someone who is both dangerous and has the ability uh, to go out and, and, and cause destruction or to hurt people, you know, that's something that certainly law enforcement is constantly trying to look for. And particularly when you talk about, uh, you know, uh, words and, you know, speaking, I remember when I was in the FBI, I mean, that was a constant challenge. Where do you reach that threshold right. from someone who's just spouting off, um, you know, to actually someone who is inciting, inciting violence? And, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer like Joe. I almost went to law school, but that was a constant <laughs> challenge. You know, what what is it that gets you over that threshold? And, and it's certainly you know, very difficult. Yeah,
4: you know, it's funny. I got a lot of questions for you, but I don't want to ask them because I don't want you to answer them. I don't want no. to give people any any ideas or yeah. or know that you're on to them. One thing I, I I think often when I'm at airports and I see the security is I feel like we're so focused on like airports are the only thing you can attack and the only way you can possibly ever kill people is with a plane or at an airport when obviously there are lots of options out there. Is security ramped up in a lot of other arenas that we just don't see outside of flying?
5: Yeah. You know, there's the scene and the unseen. I mean, that security posture that you see at an airport, for example, uh, a lot of that is is to serve as a deterrent. You know, when you roll up to LAX and you see, you know, the uh, airport police officers there who are doing their random checks, you know, they'll stop every 10th or 12th car or whatever it is. Um, you know, a lot of that is just to serve as that deterrent. Hey, if you're intent on causing harm here, you may be the person that gets caught up, uh, you know, in this net. Uh, but there are a lot of, um, uh, you know, Systems out there, a lot of um, uh, intelligence collection platforms that are used that try to detect threats, and, and a lot of it, you know, can be after the fact. I mean, I'll give you an example of, you know, here uh, there was a, a serial killer, for example, here in Los Angeles um, uh, in the last couple of weeks, and this person was stopped by the Beverly Hills Police Department because the department had installed license plate scanners. And so they they had this technology that was in place that wasn't intent on finding any particular person, um, but it helped after the fact because, you know, at one of the scenes of one of these uh, killings, they... Cops got a license plate. They entered it into the system. The moment that guy popped uh, driving through Beverly Hills, they were able to, to go and, and capture him. But, you know, that's after the fact, right, after the person's right. already done uh, certain crimes. And so hey,
2: yeah.
4: we're up against a hard break, Josh, and I want to have time to say thank you very much for coming on, and we would love to have you on a lot more during this next year. Uh, glad to get to know you, and thanks for listening all these years. Josh Campbell, CNN security correspondent. Jack Armstrong
1: and Joe Getty.
4: You might not know this, but after we finish our radio show every day, the Armstrong and Getty
3: Show, we keep on going. We do a podcast that you never hear on the air. might be more in-depth analysis of the day's events, uh, our allegedly keen observations of the world around us, or even more of the ridiculous and absurd stories that you crave every weekday. Yeah, we
4: call it Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. It's a podcast that you should subscribe to right now.
3: You can find it on the
5: Police have identified a woman possibly killed by an alligator in Pinellas County. Sabrina Peckham was 41 years old. She was found dead on Friday after someone spotted an alligator with a body in its mouth. A 13-foot gator was pulled from a waterway and euthanized. One local resident says alligators have been seen in the area before, but not usually that large.
4: Now that story got a fair amount of attention for the brief period of time as they were wondering what was in that alligator's mouth. Turns out it looks like it was that 41-year-old woman. Oh. So- somehow. Yikes. That's a caveman death right there.
3: Yeah, my goodness. Troubling. Uh, so, a lot of good stuff to get to today. My goodness, uh, it's, it's just a cornucopia of infotainment and intormation. Uh, this uh, this is shocking, but take it with the grain of salt. Uh, pregnant or breastfeeding women who consume diet soda or other foods uh, containing aspartame, the artificial sweetener aspartame. Could experience higher rates of autism diagnoses in their sons. New study has revealed universities, uh, I'm sorry, researchers at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio found that among boys who had been diagnosed with autism, their mothers were three times as likely to report drinking at least one diet soda per day, about the equivalent of five tabletop packets of aspartame. Now, the lead author said, quite responsibly, our study does not prove causality. It does not prove that maternal intake of diet sodas and aspartame specifically during pregnancy or nursing increases a child's risk of autism, but it does raise a major warning flag, and it's worth looking into.
4: And who knows, and we'll find out, but is it going to be something like that? Absolutely.
3: I remember so well uh, in my early childhood childhood when some of, some of the birth defect tragedies of the 60s were pointed out to me. Kids that I saw whose moms had taken various drugs that were cleared for use during pregnancy and caused just devastating uh, birth defects. Um, is it possible something that's all around us is a major contributor to the astonishing rise in autism? Yes, absolutely Yes. Uh, Whether it's an artificial sweetener, which I avoid as much as I can, or not, I don't know. I don't know. But it'll be,
4: but like my point is, it'll be something like that, don't you think?
3: If if it's not well, it's like uh, uh, the uh, anti anti anti-inflammatory. No, that's what you take. Like um, you know, your fire suppressant chemicals in furniture, right? Stuff like that or something in the most commonly used fertilizer on Earth or something right. that surrounds us and appears utterly innocent, yeah, I have a feeling that's probably part of it. Dang it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, they studied several hundred children diagnosed with autism. Interestingly, they did not find that same association in autism in girls, um, which is something my family's dealt with, as long-time listeners know. Um we also saw these associations for boys with autism disorder, but not for all boys with any autism spectrum disorder, an umbrella category that includes less severely life-challenging conditions, such as Asperger's syndrome, et etc. But it's something they're looking into. Look into it as quickly as possible. And speaking of science, I was shocked at the number of people who sent us the link to this story. I happen to have seen it already in the Wall Street Journal about this uh, essentially a trio of scientists who have made it if not their life's work an extremely enthusiastic hobby using tips number crunching and gut instincts to uncover deception in academic papers research papers studies the very sort of which we just cited um, and, and the one guy is just a super data cruncher mastermind. And uh, the second guy, I can't remember what his specialty is exactly, but they all have a different uh, areas of expertise. But working together, they have uncovered uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of faulty papers. Some being incompetence, a lot of them being dishonesty. Um, and, uh, and back in 2002, they point out 119 academic papers were retracted. 119 last year it was 5500 partly because of these guys and people like them
4: well incompetence or just being wrong I see those as incompetence usually carries more of
3: a negative flavor to it sometimes you're just oh, wrong oh no just being wrong is that does not show up okay. it's being it's being deceptive ah, okay. or or grossly incompetent. Gotcha. They can they can spot the numbers. Um, and they have nailed a lot of prominent people. Harvard, rock star scientists, the president of Stanford University, the neuroscientist who was uh, forced to step down. And interestingly, three studies he co-wrote were retracted. They didn't think he personally engaged in research misconduct or knew about the misconduct by others, but, quote, he failed to decisively and forthrightly correct mistakes in the scientific record. Once you figure out somebody faked up data in your report, You've got to come forward. Hmm. But the other uh, the other conclusion I came from from this uh, came to from this uh, this article, which is quite interesting. We'll post a link at armstrongandgetty.com, was that as our friends uh, James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrose pointed out so hilariously and brilliantly several years ago, when you move into the so-called social sciences, which aren't sciences at all, They've tried to borrow the lab coat of science and slap it onto their own particular theories about humanity, most of it anyway. Uh, When you move into those quote-unquote sciences, man, do you find a lot of dodgy research. Well, you'd have to, because it's made up. (laughs) The whole idea of a lot of it is made up, so... Well and it's so prone to manipulation and getting people to give you the answers they want. Then they fake up the research, get it published in they published in psychological science or or the the journal of sexist dog park rape culture or whatever, like uh Lindsay and Pluckrose and, and Bogosian did. Um nobody checks that crap. But every we have so many PhDs now, so many uh, so many professors, so many administrators in college, and the way you get status is to publish. And so you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of papers being published that nobody ever reads or cites or needs on any level, and half of it's fake. Well, not half of it, but a lot of it's fake.
4: Uh, one more science story. This is actually good news. I came across this yesterday. It's from Human Progress, uh, apparently... Elon Musk was talking to Bill Maher about this just the other night on his show. Uh, They were talking about um, running out of water on Earth and fresh water and what that's going to do and climate change and all that sort of stuff. And Elon Musk said, hey, the Earth is 70% water. We're going to be fine. Bill Maher said, well, you can't drink that. Musk said, oh, no, desalinization is absurdly cheap now. That was news to me and a number of people. So they started looking into it, and, yeah, it turns out, um, there is a new way that the price of desalinization that's taking salt water in the ocean and making it, you know, drinkable, uh, taking the salt out of has fallen. The price has fallen 62% in the last decade, and it's becoming absurdly cheap and just about to the past the break. Even it makes more sense to do it than not stage, which they mm-hmm. think they're screaming toward, which could change the planet, obviously
3: right right and and goes to our philosophy of yeah we ought to keep working toward technologies that eliminate fossil fuels or what-have-you but meanwhile we need to be working as hard and fast as we can at ways to deal with the climate if it's changing and this is a perfect example and you know I would suggest that even as that supply curve is moving the demand curve is going to move too and at, at some point very soon the lower cost and the greater needs going to say, say yeah 100% we need this technology let's get to work
1: Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste.